and I was devastated because, you know, I'm in the fight of my life right now. Like my, my dad is sick. I'm trying to save his businesses. I'm making next to no money. You know, I kind of feeling like I was having to make the decision of, do I feed myself? Do I feed my dog? You know, like it was, it was pretty bad. Hey, this is Steve Padgett and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 198. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs. I'm recording today's episode looking out at Lake Gunnersville State Park, which is located in northern Alabama, and it is where we are hosting our fourth RV Entrepreneur Summit conference for other people like us who are working from the road, running their business, running their families. That sounds like a weird way to describe managing a family from the road. I was in business mode. We're raising our family on the road. That sounds like a better way than running them because that just that just sounds strange. Today's episode, I'm really, really excited for you to hear. It is actually with one of our speakers for this year's conference, Courtney Armstrong. You may follow her on Instagram as the Flipping Nomad. She is kind of described as the Joanna Gaines of the RV industry, which I actually have context to now because after... Having a baby, Alyssa and I sat on the couch for several months changing diapers and things like that, and we watched Fixer Upper as we got pumped up about buying our own campground. So I really actually feel like I I get that comparison very, very well. We talk about quite a bit in today's episode. We talk about how Courtney went from zero knowledge in renovating anything to, in just a few years, being able to create a custom RV literally from the bones up alongside one of the biggest companies in the RV industry. We talk about her favorite flip where she made over $5,500 in less than a week. We talk about how she was able to pre-sell her flips by using Instagram to find people who are willing to buy her RV before she ever actually had to build it, which took a lot of the risk out of the equation. And one of the things I like most about this episode is that Courtney's story is so different from so many of the other people that you've heard on this podcast. So many people had this dream, had this goal, idea of traveling around, being location independent, creating a business that supported that, or vice versa. The order was a little bit different, but the ideas were always kind of the same. Courtney kind of fell backwards into this lifestyle. Not only was it not intentional, but she was kind of ashamed that she had to move into a fifth wheel in the first place. It was not because her life was so great that she was going to get to go travel the country. It was because she didn't have anywhere else to go. But she was able to ultimately make a really great story out of the situation that in the beginning wasn't so awesome. I'm really excited for you guys to get to hear Courtney's story on the podcast today. And if you're coming to RVE Summit or if you're listening to this on the way to the conference, you'll get to hear her story in person as well. And I know she'll go into even more than she did on the podcast today. All right, let's get into today's episode with Courtney Armstrong. Courtney, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So you've had a whirlwind like past few months, haven't you? Past year. Uh, to say the least, to say the least, yes. <laughs> so your story is amazing. I've told a lot of my friends, and I'm excited for you to come speak at Summit. So when you meet somebody right now, how do you describe what your life is? You know, I think the best way to describe what I do, at least with the business, is that I am the Joanna Gaines of the RV industry. Um, so I take stock RVs and I gut them gut them cosmetically and they come out looking like uh, little luxury homes on the interior. That's actually a really good way to like simply describe a comparison yeah. that so many people know. I struggle with like having that pitch. Did you did you come up with that or did somebody else say that or how did no, you like No, I actually cannot take credit for that analogy. Um 
somebody that I did an interview with, gosh, it's been about probably a year and a half ago now. She wrote that as the headline of the article was meet the Joanna Gaines of the RV industry. And you're like, and I, I like, like it. Like, I, I, I will never be able to come up with a more simple explanation of what I do. Yeah. And also <laughs> she's probably like one of the literally most liked people in the whole world. So it's like yeah. w- winning there. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, that is a total honor to even be compared to her in any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I've like watched, I'd watched a few Fixer Upper episodes in the past, but this past year, like transitioning to parenthood, you watch like way more TV or at least we did because it's like, you can't take, you have a newborn baby, you're changing diapers, whatever. And so we went through and like watched many, many seasons of Fixer Upper. And so I feel like now I have so much more context to your, your, your unofficial title now. So Starting at the beginning of your story, you actually mm-hmm. bought your or moved into your first RV around the same time that Alyssa and I did in 2014. But unlike a lot of the people who have had on this podcast whose story have been similar to ours in some ways, like we had this desire to go travel, we left our jobs and kind of like went through this whole process of like purging what our items that we had. That is totally not your story at all. Whenever you moved into your fifth wheel, what was going on that year that led you into buying a fifth wheel and starting this whole journey? Yeah, my story is very opposite of most people. And I actually kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of envious of people that had this amazing experience getting into RVing. Because like you said, mine was completely backwards. At the time, my dad had had a stroke and he had two businesses but neither one was doing very well. So I had to drop everything and take over both businesses. But because neither one was doing very well, there was hardly any money left over to pay me. So I was living in only housing situation that I could afford, uh, which was four bedroom house with three friends. And our lease was coming up for renewal one month sooner than we expected. So we kind of were in this little bit of a scramble period. So we all sat down to talk about what we were going to do found out that one of them had already rented a one-bedroom apartment. And so then I was just kind of thinking, okay, well, the other two girls and I will just go get a three-bedroom. So then the next roommate goes and she says, well, my uncle's house is vacant and it's a three-bedroom and he's going to rent it to us. So I'm thinking, okay, like we'll just move into the uncle's house, whatever. And she says, the the final roommate of the three of us, the final roommate's going to move in. My sister is going to take the third bedroom. So sorry, Courtney. And I was devastated because, you know, I'm in the fight of my life right now. Like my, my dad is sick. I'm trying to save his businesses. I'm making next to no money. You know, I kind of feeling like I was having to make the decision of, do I feed myself? Do I feed my dog? You know, like it was, it was pretty bad. And so there was no way I could afford a one bedroom apartment. Um, I didn't know anybody else that needed a roommate. So I had two weeks to scramble just to find somewhere to land. So I actually thought about moving into the office because there was at least running water there, you know, and I'd make a little bed in the corner or something. And so I threw myself a pity party for about three days. And then I said, you know what, you got to man up and figure this out, like at least try for something. So called a family friend named Ron, and he's one of these guys that just knows everybody in town. So I thought maybe he would know of somebody that needed a roommate or had a mother-in-law suite that was vacant or something. And at the time of talking to him, I did not know people lived in RVs. Okay. I did not know that was a thing. So he says, well, there's a fifth wheel in the park that's for sale and the owner will find it, finance it for you if you want. So you don't have to worry about getting cleared through a bank. And then there is a position coming open at the front desk where you work in exchange for everything. So site, rent, electricity, propane, the whole nine yards. So he says, your only housing expense will be the payment on the fifth wheel. Are you interested? I was like, no. But it's a roof and it's a bed and it's some running water. Like, 
I'll take it. Did you even go look at the fifth wheel first or did you even know what the fifth wheel was? Uh, no, I could not have told you the difference <laughs> between motorized or towable or fifth wheel or travel trailer. And I didn't, I didn't even know the difference between a black tank yeah. and a gray tank when I moved in. I was just so desperate for housing that this was, it was a roof and a bed basically. So very long story short, um, that's how I got into RVing almost and six you, years ago now. And you said at the time you were kind of, you were kind of embarrassed. I was very embarrassed about it. I felt like borderline homeless. You know, here I am mid twenties, all of my friends are buying houses and in their careers and buying cars. And here I am, you know, living in a fifth wheel, driving a Ford Focus, you know, living at this, you know, I had the kind of the trailer park mentality in my head, you know, like this is what, you know, I might as well be in a van down by the river, you know, type thing. And uh, I try to keep it hidden from people. But then after a couple months, their lifestyle really started to grow on me. And about the only entertainment I could afford was taking my dog for a walk. And so we would just walk the RV park every night. And everybody else that was there was there on a weekend, you know, on a weekend trip. So they are barbecuing and playing music and playing cornhole. And it was this really cool atmosphere. And so I moved into the RV in April. So that whole late spring and then summertime, being immersed in the true RVing culture really helped change my mindset to what it could be. And so that really, that's what I credit to my mindset shift was just seeing how much everybody else loved the lifestyle. And that helped me kind of readjust my thoughts towards it. Do you think that if you weren't in like a KOA, but you were in like an actual legit trailer park that you would have maybe never went through that mental shift? Yeah. Really? I think it would have yeah. been, I think it would have been completely different. There's a big difference between a KOA and like a, you know, an actual trailer park. Yeah. Like a mobile home park. Yeah. There's yeah, exactly. a huge there's a huge difference. Yeah. I just loved the um, mentality of the people that were there. Everybody was so nice and so upbeat and so welcoming. And if I had any questions on my rig, I would have six guys there in a matter of five minutes helping me. So it was, everybody just kind of took me in and, and took me under their wings. And, and then also, you know, getting to meet just the people there on the, on the nightly basis too. It was, it was a really cool atmosphere. So at what point did you decide to renovate your fifth wheel? Because that's kind of like what started this whole process. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, the, the tipping point. So after about a year went by, I'd completely fallen in love with the lifestyle. I was now a minimalist, uh, but not necessarily <laughs> by choice. Yeah. Um, I was loving the lifestyle. I really enjoyed living by myself and it was very cheap. It was very budget friendly to live by myself in this RV, but I decided that I wanted one that was laid out a little bit different. So taking a step back, my very first RV was a 2006 Keystone Outback Sydney edition, and it had white cabinets from the factory. Well, because I did not get the luxury of shopping for my first RV, I did not know how rare that was. Like that rig was kind of a unicorn and it was very far ahead of its time. Keystone only made the Outback with white cabinets for three years and that was it. I actually had no idea that prior to 2010, any manufacturer made like cabinets with any white. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I know they were, uh, so like, you know, like I said, that rig was very far ahead of its time. So when I decided I wanted to keep living tiny, but I wanted a rig that was laid out a little bit different, I said, I'll just go find another one that has the floor plan that I want that has white cabinets. Well, I searched and searched and searched and went through every dark corner of the internet trying to find what I wanted. And still to this day, I have not found what I was searching for, like from the factory for that second rig. So 
I finally found one that had the floor plan that I wanted, but it was just the classic RV interior, the browns and drabby and some really awkward floral. And so I thought, well, I could paint, right? Like, I don't know, can you paint an RV interior? So I did a quick Google search. Nothing came up now because I realized that nobody was doing that. So I literally, so I bought that rig brought it home. I took a cabinet door down, took it into Home Depot and I put it on the paint counter and I said, how do I paint this? And so they walked me through the whole process. So I renovated my very first rig basically just because I couldn't find what I wanted. You know, it was a personal desire that there was a product out there that I wanted. I couldn't find it. So, so I made my own. Yeah. And at this time, were you still kind of running your dad's businesses and staying at the same KOA? Is that what was going on outside of the renovation? Yeah. Correct. So I was still stationary at KOA. Um, at that point, RVing was still just a housing alternative for me. I was still driving a Ford Focus, could not tow the rig. I was not traveling. It was strictly like the tiny house alternative. And I, I'm trying to think of the exact timeline. I think at that point, I had closed one of the businesses and then I was working on growing the other one. Um, what were the two businesses? One was a radio station and the other one was a festival. So the radio station, I knew it was not sustainable in my hands. I did not have the skill set to continue with it. So my dad had actually just purchased the radio station just prior to his stroke. So I got a hold of the old owners and they knew everything that was going on. So they graciously took the station back. They were fantastic to work with. They could have been really nasty in that situation, but they were very gracious and basically just ripped the contract up and they said, we'll do what we have to. Um, and then the other one was a festival. So I was attempting to save the festival at the time of renovating the first RV. And how long were you doing that work? I'm just curious. I want to get into like your whole RV journey, but what happened with the festival? So the festival, I, I gave it hell for three years. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I actually was able to, to save it. I turned it around. I grew it by over a hundred percent and then I sold it. And what was, was it like an annual festival or? Yeah, it was an annual festival. Um, the best way to describe it was like if a traditional or like a state farm a state farm, <laughs> state fair, the state fair merged with a traditional car show. So it was a car show in the sense that there was thousands of hot rods on display, everything from like, you know, the Model T's and the Model A's all the way up to the current day imports. And then it was also a state fair in the sense that we had a racetrack built into the middle of the show. We would bring in celebrity cars and celebrity people associated with the celebrity cars. We would bring in crazy stuff like you know, you see like the globe of death where the guy goes in and they ride the motorcycle around and around oh, and yeah. around. So oh my just gosh. crazy things that were automotive related. And, you know, that festival, it was my dad's passion. It wasn't my passion. Um, he loved the automotive industry. So, you know, I tried to keep it around for as long as I could. But, you know, I kind of had a heart to heart session with myself. And I said, look, this is not where my heart is. This is not my passion. I would kind of like to get back to my life. So, I mean, like I said, I gave it hell for three years and I was able to salvage it and it's still continuing to this day. The corporation that bought it is still continuing with it. That's awesome. I had no idea. Like I knew we talked briefly and you're like, I was in events for a while. So I understand kind of some of the craziness. I didn't realize just how like big of a event that's yeah. that's nuts yeah I don't even know want to know what you had to do from like an event insurance perspective like if somebody's oh, going yeah. through a, a ring of fire death anyway so you you're at Home Depot or Lowe's and you take in this cabinet wooden cabinet or whatever and you, you learn mm -hmm. how to paint it and then how long did it take you to renovate your first RV so I was currently I was living in my old RV and 
working on the new one and I thought I'll be done in two weeks like full renovation tip to tail like it's a tiny little space I'll be done in two weeks okay well six weeks later I moved into it and it was unfinished so <laughs> like nice. I gravely I gravely underestimated the amount of time that it would take so I would say in total it took so I worked on it like all day every day for about six weeks and then uh probably dragged it out for another month or two after that but I wasn't working as hard on it so yeah that one was definitely a learning experience that is for sure <laughs> at a certain point people start finding your RV renovation on mm -hmm. I'm assuming Instagram right correct yeah so people start finding your RV renovation and then what happens from there? Like people started asking you to reno or you start deciding that you could just go do more and maybe, maybe there's a business there. Like how did, like, how did that transpire? Yeah. So after I finished the first rig that I had renovated about a year and a half went by as I got more brain power freed up after, you know, getting my family taken care of and the business is taken care of. I kept coming back to my buying experience and thinking maybe other people out there have had a similar experience. Like maybe other people hate these interiors too. And maybe there's a business to be had here. Um, so I said, I'm not going to know until I try. So I had done a little bit of buying and selling and just doing like a few cosmetic updates. So like backsplashes and furniture updates and, uh, you know, cleaning the carpets, but not doing these full blown renovations. So I thought maybe if I merge these two, take what I've learned, but with just the, a little bit of buying and selling that I've done and merge it with renovating, let's, let's try this business. So found one that had a really cool floor plan. And I thought I'm going to do a full blown renovation on this one. And we'll just see what happens. You know, worst case scenario, maybe I lose some time and a little bit of money but let's try it. So renovated it and then listed it for sale. It sold locally, made a little bit of money. I was like, okay, let's get even better with the next one. So then the next one renovated it, sold it locally. And then that's about the time that it, the Instagram account started to take off. I never had any intentions of becoming a quote unquote influencer or having any kind of Instagram following. That was never my intentions, but I was posting pictures pretty much just so my like old drunk college friends could see what I was doing, but the account was public. So people, I remember this one point, like looking at my phone and getting, you know, a handful of new followers and I did not know any of them personally. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that's been really interesting is seeing Instagram take off in a way that I had zero intentions of it doing. But anyways, the first two rigs sold locally. And then when I announced that I had the third full renovation coming, this cute young couple had been following me. They reached out once I announced it and they said, Hey, we love what you do. We love this floor plan of this rig. What do you think if we pre-purchase it from you and walk with you through the design elements? I was like, well, I have no idea how we're going to do this, but let's try. So, and then since then now they've all pre-sold. So as soon as I get one in, a family scoops it up and then they walk through the design process with me. And that's, that's all been a result of Instagram. Okay. So I'm, I'm piecing together the timeline. So you moved into your RV and then like after a year you did your first renovation. Is that right? Yep. And then during this time, you're still kind of managing the festival, right? 
at the time that I decided to start doing the renovation business, I had already sold the festival, but I, I still wasn't quite able to make the full leap into being fully self-employed. Um, so I had like a side part-time job at a local like wedding planner slash event production company. So I would work there maybe like 30 hours a week or so and, and more than full-time during their busy season. So it's kind of a good balance between still being able to have a flexible schedule and build my own business, but then also still have an income so I could afford to feed myself. Had you done renovation um, project? Not so. I, I wasn't handy in the sense that I had, I basically had zero construction experience. Like I owned a drill and that was it. My dad never built anything growing up. So I really didn't have any of that experience, but at the same time, I'm also very savvy. So I'm also and also very independent too. So it was kind of a, uh, almost a challenge that I took on, like just to see if I could figure it out on my own. And taking a step back to when I renovated my very first one, I did not have anybody to help me. Like my dad was not around, my brother was not handy. I didn't have any uncles or cousins or anything like that to help. So I was literally faced with this option of either not doing anything because I don't have anybody to help me or I man up and I figure it out and I do it on my own. Yeah. So that was that was the decision that I made. I'm noticing a nice theme here. I just got to figure this out. <laughs> so you sold a couple of these on Instagram. People start following you and start pre-buying them. Like, how do you know how much to like mark, mark up an RV that hasn't even been created yet? How do you price yeah. something out like that? I'll be totally honest with you. That has been something that has been a struggle is finding that balance. How it's worked with the past rigs is I have priced out everything that I would put in it, all the changes that I was going to make to it if I were just going to do it on my own and then list it for sale. And then I put a budget on each item. For example, say I would spend $250 on a kitchen sink. Well, I can install a white sink as easily as I can install a black one. You know, so that's where the family kind of gets to come in and make their decisions. You know, I can install a gold light fixture as easily as I can install a black one, you know. Now, I will say that it's getting kind of, it slows the process down by doing it that way. So, you know, entrepreneur to entrepreneur, uh, that's something that I you know, have to kind of look at readjusting yeah. the business as it grows. Right. Um, I'm not sure what the answer is right now. Um, I have a few ideas, but we'll see. We'll see where it goes. From a financial standpoint, like what was your best flip? Yeah, I'll tell you one of my favorites. It was actually a non-renovation, believe this or not. Okay. The issue with the renovations is they just take so much time, so much time. So taking a step back to when I was just doing some buying and selling, doing some cosmetic updates, I found this rig. It was actually a Keystone Springdale. And this was coming right after I had purchased the very first rig that I was going to renovate. So I was obsessively searching so hard for that rig that I got a really good grasp on book values. So book value still being like fresh in my mind. I found this rig that this guy was, he had this sudden change of plans in life and he had to move to California like right now, immediately. He needed that rig gone yesterday. So he listed it for sale for $5,500. And I saw it pop up on Craigslist like a half hour after it had been posted. And I was like, no way. Like I knew that rig was worth way more than that. I was like, what is wrong with this thing? Like the roof is probably totally rotted out. Like it probably smells like, you know, cat litter and cigarette <laughs> smoke on the inside, right? Like something is wrong with this. Right. So I went and looked at it. He told me his story and he was like, I just need it gone. I need it gone. Like my phone is blowing up. People know this is a good deal. So I bought it for 5,500, brought it home, cleaned the carpets. That was it. 
sold it for 11. Boom. And how quickly did it sell? Oh, within like a week. Oh my gosh. That is a great deal. Like you didn't have to do it. (laughs) Exactly. Like I I cleaned the carpets and that was it. It was in great condition. Okay. But because he had had such a change in life that he just had to like bottom out the price just to get it gone. So I think out of all of them, that one's been my favorite. Dude, that's an awesome deal. And were you sourcing most of these on Craigslist or RV Trader? Like, how did you get such a good grasp? Our RV Trader has been really cool. I just get on there, and not because I'm buying RVs. I should be more productive and make money like you are. But, like, I, I can kind of go and look at a variety of rigs, and you can, like, shop around really easily. If you want to search, like, Winnebago Brave, I can look at ones from 2015 and 2016 when they did their retro tribute, and I know kind of, like, the value of those because that was our RV. Is that uh-huh. kind of what you did, or did you have another way of doing that? Um, no, a little bit. It was, it was all mostly Craigslist. Um, and so working, so I was working at the front desk of the RV park and this was in Boise, Idaho. Okay. Like nobody camps in the winter in Boise. Right. So I'm stuck in front of this computer for 20 hours a week with nothing to do. And the manager literally said, Hey, bring movies, bring, you know, games, whatever you want to do, just do something to occupy your time. So being parked in front of that computer for 20 hours a week, I had nothing else to do, but I was curious about RVs and just what was out there. Cause I had no clue what the options were. So I, honestly, I was like 20 hours a week, just searching, just seeing what they were. And I looked locally because I, because I was looking for my new personal rigs. So I wanted to be able to actually purchase it. Um, so yeah, I was mostly Craigslist. I did dabble with our beach trader a little bit, but you know, when rigs are across the country, it's, I can't, I can't go look at them. Yeah. Um, or tell me yeah. Ford Focus. Did you have a truck at that right. point? No, my neighbor had a truck. So he went and picked up the rig for me and then brought it back to the RV park. And then I cleaned the carpets and I think washed the windows and then sold Man. it. And, did you just have a good eye for design or were there books or resources or did you watch Fixer Upper? Like, how did you know what Where did the would design look come good? from? Yeah. So I actually don't have any design background whatsoever. Uh, my background is in business. I have a bachelor's in business. Um, and honestly, like, the, I think the design thing just comes from me being a girl. Like, <laughs> I have no other explanation for it than that. Um, I'm completely self-taught in everything that I do. About a year ago, as the business was starting to gain momentum, I was feeling a little bit self-conscious about my design decisions. So I started reading a few little articles and blogs and stuff about design. And then I would, one thing that I studied a lot was I would look at houses that I could tell it had like a high-end interior designer design them. And I started kind of compartmentalizing them and breaking them down and analyzing why does this space look so good? What about these pieces in here is bringing the space together? So completely self-taught in in design. I love it. And at this point, like you're enjoying doing, you weren't loving the radio station or the festival, but you were enjoying finding RVs and renovating them. Like you liked the project, like being able to start, finish, mm-hmm. sell, work with, like you were, you were having fun, it sounds like. Oh yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love my business. I like sourcing the rigs. Um, it does get a little difficult at times, I will say, especially because I've, I try to work strictly with Keystone Montana's cause I like how they're built. So that does get a little bit difficult. It really limits the buying pool, but I love kind of inspecting the rigs too, because I make sure they don't have any water damage or you know, stuff like that. And then I love the challenge of redesigning them from a functionality standpoint. So how can we sneak in some more storage, but how can we also take this set of cabinets out so the space 
feels more open, but we can't just rip all the storage out of the space and not give the family anywhere to store anything in the name of opening the space up, you know? So there's definitely a challenge there, finding that balance of opening up the space and making it feel bigger and brighter, but not stripping it of everything that it needs to be functional. Totally makes sense. Yeah. It's not like you can walk in and be like Joanna where, you're, you know, she's like, make it all open. We're going to take out all these walls. Yeah. Like you can't do that in an RV. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't want any cabinets in here. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take them all out, put them on the yeah. roof. So more people are finding you on Instagram and you're reaching out and you're pre-booking all these RV renovations because people mm-hmm. can see your track record and what you've done. So you're working with people to like kind of customize some of the touch points and you're kind of coming up with a macro game plan. And this is, when does it become your full-time business? Uh, it is now. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it, so, it is now. So I was able to quit the part-time job probably two years ago or so. Okay, gotcha. At what point does Keystone enter the picture? Because this is kind of leads up to what you're doing now with the tour and the ultimate and yeah. what you're going to be at RV Summit, kind of sharing some of your stories as well. But at what point does Keystone see what you're doing and call you up and be like, Courtney, yo, good work. So as I was building the business, I recognized that people were buying my units because of their interiors and not necessarily because of their structures. So I was kind of in this position to almost trick people in a sense. Um, But I said, I need to take this moral responsibility and go above and beyond with it. I need to make sure that I'm only working with rigs that have good bones and that are built right from the factory. So who are, who are these manufacturers that are doing it right? So I did a lot of research and everything came to Montana's because I prefer to work with fifth wheels. So I was exclusively working with Montana's and that's how Keystone found out about me because I was posting, you know, about all these Montana's and they were watching me for about, I, I think it was about eight months that they were watching. And then they reached out to me in March of last year. So about 10 months ago. And it was actually the former Montana product manager that reached out. And he was like, hey, we've been watching what you're doing. We love what you're doing. We'd like to talk about working together. And it was actually through Instagram that he reached out. And when I got that message, I was like a little kid. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I get all emotional, right? I'm like, who's, who else gets emotional getting a message from an RV manufacturer except me, you know? (laughs) So they reached out in March and then they flew me out to uh, their headquarters out in Elkhart County, Indiana in April of last year to talk about working together. Did they give you like a clear idea or outline of what they wanted to talk about or did they just say like hey we want to want to do something together just come on out we'll get you a plane ticket basically basically wow okay so they said we want to fly you out to start the conversation of working together and I was like oh if they're flying me out just to start the conversation this is gonna be epic (laughs) I don't know what it's gonna be but it's gonna be epic right yeah I'm gonna get room service um, no yeah yeah (laughs) the limo picks me up at the at the airport yeah (laughs) stretch Montana no go ahead yeah stretch Uh, Montana yes (laughs) Yeah, so they flew me out in April, and uh, you know I had never been to a manufacturing facility before, so they took me through the Montana plant, and that was like the coolest thing, was to see how these things are put together at the factory, and then we went through the lamination plant too, so that's where they build the exterior walls, um, and that was fascinating to see. And then we sat down at lunch, and they were like, hey, we love what you do. We see how talented you are, and we would love to work with you, but a partnership like this has never been done in the industry before so there is no how-to book there is no playbook we have to kind of make this up as we go we have some ideas but what do you think if we start with one unit what if we pulled a custom shell 
built out of a 2020 Montana off of the line, give it to you, give you a budget, give you our list of vendors and tell you to go hog wild. I was like, done. (laughs) How did you kind of keep your composure in that moment? Oh yeah. It was like all I could do to not like jump up and down on the table. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We uh, had that initial conversation in April both parties agreed. We, was like, we were like, yes, this could be, well, this could be fantastic. Um, but now we have to start thinking through logistics. So how are we going to pull this off? So Keystone was like, well, we could ship the rig out to you in Idaho and you could build it out there. Um, at the time I was doing mobile renovations. So I said, well, I mean, I'm still mobile. We could pack up and come to Indiana and build it on your campus and build it like right here on the facilities. And they're like, yeah, that would be awesome. But then even more logistics kicked in of, okay, well, where are we going to stay? Where exactly are we going to build the rig? So everybody that, that built this concept RV was a full-timer. So we all stayed at a local RV park. And then Keystone has this awesome building. They call it the photo studio. And that's where they bring the brand new rigs in to shoot pictures and videos for brochures and marketing and stuff. So uh, they carved out a little corner of the building for us. And then we set up our tools and so literally they, they built this uh, custom built shell. They don't do like one-off custom builds. So even getting this shell was pretty big deal. And then about a half hour after it was done on the assembly line, it was in our hands and we were ripping into it even further. Did you have other projects going on at the time that you were just like, I have to drop everything for this? Or was it kind of like an in-between moment that just we were able to kind of pack up and come out there? I was doing mobile renovations. So I had built myself a toy hauler. I was living in it. The garage was the shop. I had given up my shop in Boise in order to travel full-time, you know, because first and foremost, I was an RVer. I was wanting to travel. I was like, how do I take this very stationary business and be mobile with it? So I attempted mobile renovations. It was working, but I was limited to only doing one at a time. And my plan was to go get another shop and get off the road. So I was planning on doing that in April. Well, that's when Keystone, Keystone called in March. So I said, it'd be silly to go get another shop just for three or four months and then have to pack up and move to Indiana for who knows how long as we build this concept RV. So I had already kind of pulled the business back a little bit because I did not have a shop. I didn't know when I would get stationary. I didn't know what the production would be. I I didn't want to commit to anybody. So I purposely was not booking any renovations for that time in name of the shop. Well, then when Keystone called, it became... Now I'm not booking renovations in name of this Keystone project. Yeah. So the timing of it worked out beautifully. I did not have to cancel any renovations. I didn't have to put anybody on hold. I didn't have to back out of any promises. So the timing of it was beautiful. We couldn't have sculpted anything better. Was it a little nerve wracking in the sense of you probably gotten in a little bit of a flow with looking at various layouts and being like, I can tweet this. I can add a sync. I can do this customization piece there but actually starting from complete scratch, because I'm sure there's probably been many times over the past few years, like, well, if I could do it, I would do all of this. But then actually when they're like, okay, Courtney, we're going to give you this RV and you can do all of this. Was there any moment of fear where you're like, no, I got this? Oh, no, there was big moments of fear. (laughs) Huge moments of fear. And what was cool too is they didn't even just say, here is your RV, go work with this one. They said, go pick any Montana floor plan that you want to work with. So how do you pick, right? So I packed up and went to the local camping world after we had talked in April. And I just sat there for like half a day in all of the brand new Montanas, poking around, like reimagining each space, which floor plan would I want to work with? What could we do with this one? What could we do with that one? 
you know, and trying to maximize the square footage. So I ended up picking the 3791 because it has this giant rear storage bay. You know, most fifth wheels have the big cargo bay up front near the kingpin, but this one has a giant storage bay at the back of it too, like big enough to put like kayaks in. So I said, we could turn that into the most insane outdoor kitchen that you've ever seen. So that's why I picked the floor plan that I did. And then I just kind of spiraled out of control from there. <laughs> now there's a margarita machine. There yeah. are like four of these. What are, what are the fire, uh, the fireplace um, called? So there, yeah. So there's three ultrasonic water vapor fireplaces. Oh my gosh. Um, when I saw those on the Instagram them- live tour, I was like, oh my gosh, those are insane. Yeah. So it, uh, it looks like real fire. Um, it's this contraption that turns water into vapor and then there's light bulbs underneath of it that illuminate the water vapor. So it looks like real flame, but you can put your hand through it. So there's three of them in the rig, uh, because you know, why not? And one of them, well, one of them is three-sided. It, it, it's in between the kitchen and the living room. And then there's another one that's dual-sided. So it, there's a fireplace in the bathroom and then it also looks into the bedroom. And then also in the bathroom is a freestanding residential clawfoot bathtub. So, and there's a huge picture window next to it. So you can sit in the bathtub, look at this ultrasonic water vapor fireplace, and then look at whatever, you know, Grand Canyon gorgeous view you've got out the window. That's insane in the best of ways. It was so fun watching the, the tour of that. Like, Coming, going back a little bit further, whenever that first, that shell rolled off the line, rolled in to the production photo studio area, did you have like butterflies in your stomach? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, so I was actually able to go see it in the plant before it was done. And I cried when I walked into it for the first time and it's on video and there's so many videos of me out there like crying, seeing this rig. I know it's like, it's so silly how emotional I've gotten over this project, but you know, it's also because of my background and, you know, coming out of this, you know, like you said, this is like 11 out of lemonade story. So I have a lot more of emotional attachment to this, this business. than I think most people would, but, um, but anyways, yeah, to answer your question, I, I cried when I saw the rig for the first time in the plant. And then we were there the morning that it actually rolled out. So we watched it come out of the factory and, and into, you know, the rest of the world for the first time. And then, when it pulled into the photo studio for us to start building it, it was, it was like so surreal. Like it it kind of felt like an out of body experience. I was like, Oh my God, it's go time. Like this is real. Like we're done thinking about this. It is time to like get on the tools and get at it. Yeah, it was crazy. And, and the craziest part about it was, you know, like I said, we had no idea what to expect going into it. We thought this would be like, a regular renovation. It'll take four, maybe six weeks. We'll probably be able to do a few cooler things just because we're in Indiana and, you know, like maybe Dometic would give us a cool refrigerator or something unique like that. Well, once we got there and the word started spreading about what we were doing, we got phone call after phone call after phone call. And then it was meeting after meeting after visitation of people. And when I say people, I mean the industry suppliers being so excited about what Keystone and I were doing that the build, I mean, it took on a life of its own. We were able to do so many cool things above and beyond what we had initially planned because of all the support from industry vendors like the fireplaces. All three of those were sponsored by the manufacturer. Their name is Dimplex. And then like Dometic built a custom kegerator for it. They brought in, of course they did. They're awesome. They are fantastic. Just crazy things like that. It has this really funky, unique front door. It's all glass. 
that Lippert sponsored. And then also what's, what's cool too, is there's a lot of unique pro well, not unique, but like kind of new to market slash prototype products that are on the rig that I will be giving a real world test. So like the front door handle, for example, is a, it's a prototype door handle from Lippert. And so I'm giving it a real world test to give them feedback about if I like it or things that they should tweak or whatever. So everybody in the, in the industry got so excited about it, which was why it took three times longer uh, than what we were expecting. Six years ago, like if you could go back to that moment where you are show up at the KOA talking to your parents' friend and thinking about that moment of this is a pretty low life moment to now like what that's led to. Like you can't make that kind of stuff up. We go through these, those like down periods of time and like mm -hmm. knowing that it can end up with an amazing story after like this really hard moment is always inspirational, I think for me and for everybody. Appreciate you saying that because there was a period, I mean, it was probably about three or four years after I'd hit that rock bottom that I was still kind of processing what had happened. And yes, I had fallen in love with the lifestyle and I was being a little more open about it, but there was a piece of me that was still embarrassed about how I got into it. But then I reached this point of, you know, that I had kind of healed enough emotionally. And I recognized that there was healing power in that story for other people and kind of different aspects of it too. Like maybe uh, like somebody else had, you know, reached their rock bottom and just needed a story of, you know, it can be okay. Like you can come out of this and something really exciting and really cool can come out of this. Or, you know, maybe there's other entrepreneurial stories out there of people just need that kind of little extra nudge that take the courage to take the step of whatever business you're wanting to start. And then maybe you get the opportunity of, you know, being able to partner with, your favorite manufacturer or, you know, whatever that is within your industry. I had to muster a lot of courage to start telling my story for the first time, but I'm so glad that I did because I've had so many people, especially reach out on Instagram and, and, and also me being a single female doing this. Like I've had a lot of women reach out and be like, Hey, you've given me the courage to get on the road or I'm going through this horrible life period right now, but I love reading your story because you give me the hope that it will be okay. Or, hey, I'm going to try this business because of what you've done. So I am so glad that I was able to muster the courage to to tell my story and to be open about it. It's, yeah. I, I hope that I can be a bright point in somebody else's dark hour. For sure. And I'm not a solo female traveler, but I tend to overthink a lot of things in life. I feel like I need to be at this level of credential or whatever in order to do something. And I'm, I sometimes struggle with a limited mindset, but knowing that it's like, I'm going to take this door off of the pantry in my RV and take it to Lowe's and just figure this out. I feel like that's always something that I personally need a good reminder of. There's power in just being brave enough to figure stuff out. And mm -hmm. you've definitely done that. And props yeah. to Keystone for coming in and making your story even cooler and attaching themselves to it. And so you're traveling across the country this year, showing off the ultimate Montana mm -hmm. concept. I know you're currently out West. You'll be at RVE Summit in March. Yay. Yep. Uh, getting, Yay. To, <laughs> getting to speak. And all, we, we definitely will have to do some type of like meetup at the rig where we like oh, the, the margarita meetup. Like how many, how many Done. can I make? Done. Well, I, the margarita machine has three blenders. So we can have a constant stream going. Okay. That's what I like to hear. Okay, this is very exciting. Anyway. And then the rig also has a smoker and a pizza oven and a kegerator and a wine chiller. So, oh, and then there's an elevated shot station for liquor bottles on the interior. So you name it, 
we can party with it. I love it. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. So Courtney, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really cool again to dive into your story. If people want to follow along for your journey, other than maybe coming to hear you talk at RVE, uh, where's a good place for people to connect with you online? Mostly just on Instagram. I'm at the flipping nomad, not on YouTube yet. I'm not cool enough for that. Awesome. Thanks so much, Courtney. Great. Thanks, Heath. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with Courtney. One of my favorite things that I have been hearing lately from various people who I've had on the podcast is after I got off the show, so many people reached out to me and said that I inspired them or that I taught them something. And for me as a podcast host, that is even better than me annoying you to go leave a review for the show for another time. So instead of doing that, I'm just going to say, if you enjoyed Courtney's story, if you felt like it was inspiring or you learned something, drop her a message on Instagram at The Flipping Nomad and just say, hey, Courtney, heard you on the podcast and you're awesome and I appreciate you. Because for me, when I have a guest on the show and then they reach back out afterwards and say that, you know, it was inspiring for other people, that means so much to me. And I'm really grateful for anybody who has listened to this podcast, you who have listened to this podcast and then reached out to the podcast guest. That's amazing. And thank you so much. By the way, if you want to hear Courtney's talk, she is speaking at our conference here in a couple of weeks. So if you aren't able to come in person, we do have virtual tickets for the event. So you can go and watch all of these sessions and the workshops online from the comfort of your own home. Or if you want to put them in your ear, you can do that as well. So you can go to heathandalyssa.com forward slash virtual. We have virtual tickets that we set up. We've hired an amazing production company. They're going to be really high quality videos. You can look at some from last year if you want to kind of get an idea of what those look like. But again, you can go to heathandalyssa.com forward slash virtual to watch all of the sessions from the 2020 RV Entrepreneur Summit. Thank you guys again so much for listening and I'll see you next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.